Bill Randall lives in the tiny town of Buffalo, South Carolina. I had to look up where Buffalo is. I've never heard of Buffalo. I thought it was in New York. But I found out it's not far from Union, if you know where Union is. But Bill Randall lives in Buffalo, South Carolina. If you met him today, you would not recognize the person he used to be. Bill, as he grew up in Buffalo, grew up poor. Didn't have very much, and he was determined never to be poor again. And so he got a degree uh, in uh, marketing and eventually got a job at the Union County Tax Assessor's Office. And Bill, by his own testimony, said, I wanted to buy what I wanted to buy and go where I wanted to go. Now, that's a little bit of a problem if you're trying to do all of that on a tax assessor's budget. And so, uh, Bill began making a little money on the side. The problem was, it wasn't exactly legal what he was doing on the side. He made money on the side by taking kickbacks in his work and also through illegal drug deals. So, he did that for a good while. And then, instead of just selling drugs, Bill started using drugs. And he said, and again, I quote him, he says, I didn't want to get old, and and the drugs made me feel young. It was great. I just felt so young and youthful. Then Bill took it even a step further. He began to get into the party scene and uh, began to start having some affairs, even though he was married. Finally, his wife called up to him and all that he was involved in. In 2006, she divorced Bill. And then in 2008, the FBI came to town one day and knocked on his door and arrested him. On January the 14th, 2010, Bill pled guilty to a 42-count indictment. Some of the charges were conspiracy, extortion, soliciting and accepting bribes and kickbacks, money laundering, and listen to this one, knowingly allowing the Union County Tax Assessor's Office to be used as a stash house for the storage and distribution of cocaine and methamphetamine. He was storing his drugs right there at the tax collector's office. Go to pay your tax bill and get you some meth. It was, yeah. Once he was arrested and, and tried, he was sentenced to 57 months in prison. Uh, bill, after he was, went through all that, did what a lot of you would do. He decided to call the preacher. You know, it's time to call the preacher, right? And so he remembered that he knew a pastor from a long time ago, so he called that pastor. The pastor came to see him. pastor talked to him about Jesus. pastor told him that his life could be different. And on the Sunday before leaving for prison, Bill gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he said this, and again I quote, he said, I felt and knew in my heart that God had just forgiven me for all the filth and the sin I had wallowed in for five and a half to six years. It's a wonderful story. Bill went on to, to, while in prison, to be in discipleship groups and eventually leading groups and, and doing some ministry inside the walls of the prison. And finally, in 2013, Bill was released from prison, and today he is the founder of a nonprofit crisis ministry aimed at helping people in hard situations. And Bill says this in summary. I love this statement. Bill said, what Satan meant for misery, God turned into ministry. Isn't that wonderful? Now, here's the question. How can somebody's life be so radically different? How can somebody's life change so drastically and so quickly? You know, that really is the message of the entire Bible, that that's possible for you. The message of the entire Bible is that your life can change. 
your life can be different. The message of the entire Bible is that the hole in your heart can be filled. You can have uh, every sin you've ever committed forgiven. You can be sure you're going to go to heaven when you die. That's the message of the entire Bible. That regardless of who you are and what you've been indicted for or whether you've been called or not, regardless of what sin is in your heart and in your life, you can change and you can be different. That's the message of hope in the entire Bible. But here's the question today that I want to talk about. How does it happen? It's one thing to say you can be different. It's one thing to say your life can change. But the real question is, how? How does it happen? Well, I decided I would draw some pictures today to help you understand the message of the Bible. And you know by now that your pastor is not an artist, right? You're going to be impressed. Alright, so first of all, we have God. Now, If I were to use two words to describe God, though there are many words we could use to describe God, the two words that I would use to describe God are the words holy and eternal. So there's God. Then, there's us. Aren't you impressed? The two words that I would use to describe us are different from these two words. Because regardless of who you are today, I bet you would agree with me that you're not holy, nor are you eternal. Regardless of who you are today, you would probably agree with me that you and I are just the opposite of God. We are sinful, and we are mortal. Right? I think everybody would agree with that. That we would agree that there's, there's sin in our life, there's things in our life we wish weren't, that, that were not there. We would agree that we're sinful people and we're mortal people. We go to funerals all the time, we're constantly reminded we are mortal. So here's the big question. If this was Bill, or if this was you, how does a person who is sinful and mortal have a relationship with God? That's a real big question. That is an extremely important question. How is it that we can have a relationship with God? And I'll show you the way most people approach this. The way that most people approach this is they say, well, if I'm sinful and God's not, here's my best shot. I need to behave. Right? I I just need to start living better. I need to start doing better. I need to start being a better person. And if I become a better person, if I become good, then maybe I can go to heaven where God is because God's good. Everybody knows God's good, so i got to become good. And so the way that we become good, we we try it in four different ways. Uh, Sometimes we say, we focus on character. I'm going to be a good person. And we just give a lot of attention and emphasis to character. I want to be a a good person. I'm going to try to be better and do better and all that kind of thing. Then we also focus on conduct. We start reading the Ten Commandments and deciding we're going to try to keep the Ten Commandments and we're going to try to treat people better. And so we focus on conduct because in our mind, because we're sinful and mortal and so different from God, we need to become more like God. 
And the way we become in our minds more like God is, we've got to focus on our character, be good, focus on conduct, do good. Then, the third one is this. It probably would help if I go to church. Because if I go to church, and if I get baptized especially, that's going to help me to become more like God. If I go to church and I get baptized, that's going to help me to do good and be good, and so one day I'll perhaps get to go where God is. And then the ace in the hole is this. I'm going to have to write it over here. Contributions. If I can do enough good things for others, and if I can give a lot of money to people, then that's going to be kind of like my insurance policy. Because if if I'm not quite as good as I need to be, but I'm kind of heading in that direction, but if I can give money to people and do good for others, that's going to put me over the top. Then I'm going to be good, maybe even good enough for God. And so we think the way to approach this problem of being sinful and mortal is that we've got to behave better. Now, I would suggest to you that there are thousands of people who are approaching life this way, and I would suggest to you that probably many of you may be approaching life this way. And I understand that. I get that. It almost makes sense, right? Except, except for what I read in Scripture. I want you to open the Scripture now, if you haven't already, Romans chapter 3. Let's just walk through some verses in Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles, that's us. If perhaps today you're a Jew, then that includes you. But if you're not a Jew, then you're a Gentile. So that's all of us. So Paul says, we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles, us, Jews and Gentiles alike, are all under sin. We are all under the power of sin. We are all under the condemnation of sin. All of us are. And then goes, he goes on to say this. As it is written, he points back to, to Scripture, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Paul would say, listen, I understand that you think the way to God is to behave, but the problem is there is nobody that good. And he says it nine times in four verses. Nine times in four verses, he emphasizes in, with one phrase or another the universality of sin, that there is no one that is righteous. There is no one that, that is that good. That the best, our best attempts at righteousness are futile. Our best attempts at trying to behave are futile. And deep down, you know that, don't you? Deep down, you know. But even though you try the hard as you can, you still mess up. And you can be sincere and genuine and committed, and you might even do it for a while, but deep down, you know. You know that your righteousness just never quite matches up to God. So the question is, what if there was another way? What if... There was a better way. Would you want to know about it? I hope you would. See, he goes on to talk about that 
in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now, I've got that highlighted in my Bible. But now, a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Let me describe it for you or draw it for you this way. He says, here we have God. And here we have us. He said there is a right... Now watch this. This is so critical. Don't miss this. He said there is a righteousness that comes from God. See, in this attempt, it's a righteousness that comes from us. When you're trying to behave, it's your own righteousness. There is a righteousness that comes from within you, and you're trying as best that you can to, to be a good person. But Paul says, no, 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 no. No, real salvation. Real salvation involves a righteousness that comes from God. And in fact, he uses that phrase twice in those two verses. Look at it again, verse 21. But now, a righteousness from God... Apart from the law, that is, apart from behavior, separate from behavior, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. And he says it again, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Everybody look up here. Do you know that this righteousness that comes from God has a name. This righteousness that comes from God has a name. It is Jesus. And watch this. And he said, and this righteousness comes to everyone who behaves. No. Here's the cool thing. He said, this righteousness comes to everyone who believes. I don't think I spelled that right. There's an E in there. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the only way that you can have a relationship with God. Now listen to this. It's, it's so clear in the Scripture. Go to Romans chapter 4. In Romans chapter 4, Paul says, okay, let me make the case. Let me give you an example. And he points to a man in the Old Testament named Abraham. And he says, let me give you an example from the Old Testament, this man named Abraham. Chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? Verse 2. If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. Everybody look up at my board. If Abraham was justified by his behavior, by works, he had something to boast about. Look what he says, though. But not before God. What does the Scripture say? Here's what the Scripture says. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Keep reading. 
Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the wicked. Have you ever felt like maybe you're just too far gone? Ever felt like maybe you've just done too much? Ever felt like maybe you waited too late? Ever felt like maybe perhaps this is for good people? Can I tell you something? Listen to me. This is not for good people because good people are over here thinking they can work their way. Good people are over here saying, I feel pretty good about my situation. I feel pretty good about myself. I feel pretty good about where I am in life. I feel pretty good about the number of people I've helped. I feel pretty good about the number of money I've given to the church. I feel pretty good about my chances of making it in. Good people don't make it to heaven. Wicked people do. Isn't that strange? Wicked people who say, you know what, I am a sinner and there is no chance of me behaving my way to God. Wicked people are the ones who recognize I've got no hope unless there is a righteousness that comes from God because there is no righteousness in me. So let's see what he says. This is so good, I hope you get this. Verse 5, However, to the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited, is counted as righteousness. God says, here's, here's what I value. I do not value your behavior. I value your faith. I'm I'm not looking at your conduct or your character or your church membership or your contribution record. God says, I'm looking for faith that you believe in my Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep reading. Verse 7, blessed, here's the description of someone who believes rather than someone who behaves. Verse 7, blessed, happy are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed, happy is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Verse 23, the words it was credited to him were written not for him alone but also for us. Everybody say for us. For us. To whom God, listen, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in Him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. The Bible says that God will credit righteousness. There is a righteousness that comes from God and God will will count you as righteous if you believe. The key word is that word believe. Believe what? Write this down if you're taking notes. Believe two things. Number one, believe that Christ died for your sins. And number two, that He died in your place. He died for your sins and He died in your place. You see, no amount of of religion, no amount of good deeds could ever pay for your sin. Even though you might be a person of character and conduct and you're a member of a church and you give to that church, it still is not going to deal with the sin issue in your heart and in your life. There is no amount of religion that could ever cover your sin. So when Jesus was dying on the cross, He was absorbing all of the punishment that you deserved. All the punishment that your sin and my sin, He took it all. And listen, not only did He die on the cross and absorb all the punishment for our sin... They put him in a grave, and three days later, after he, after he died, he walked out of that grave by his own power. 
And he conquered the things that have conquered us so that he can offer us a new life. He walked out of the grave so he could walk into your life. So here's how the Bible describes it. And I need you to keep up with me. Here's how the Bible describes it. Because this word, I'm going to fix this because this is really bothering me right here. Every time I look over here. All right. Your pastor is ADD, and I keep looking at that and saying, I've got to fix that. This word, believe, is a key word throughout the whole Bible. I mean, it's just everywhere in the Bible. And we don't have time to look at all the references, but I want to show you a few. And just for time's sake, we'll stay in one book. I want you to start with probably the verse that you know by heart. It's John 3.16. Let, let's see what that verse says. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever behaves shall not perish, but have eternal. Is that, that's not what it says, is it? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Everybody look up here. For God so loved this world. Look up here. For God so loved the world that he gave. His one and only Son. There is a righteousness that comes from God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Now continue to read. Sometimes we skip verse 17 and 18. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Look at verse 18. Whoever believes in Him, there's that word again, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe has nothing to do with behavior. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already because, here it is the third time, he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. John, as he's writing this letter, says, you need to understand something. It is not about behavior. It is not about trying to be a good person. John says, it is about believing there is a righteousness that comes from God. And if you believe that Christ died in your place for your sins, that is when life changes. And that message is permeated throughout the Bible. Let's just quickly go to John chapter 5, verse 24. John chapter 5, verse 24, I tell you the truth. Jesus is speaking here. He says, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Wouldn't you like to have that about you, said about you? Isn't that what you want to cross over from death to life? Look up here at my board, please. You can't cross over from death to life by behaving. The only way is by believing that there is a righteousness that comes from God. And you decide to believe that Christ died for you in your place for your sin. It's just all through the Bible. Look in chapter uh, 6, verse 47. Jesus again is speaking. He says, I tell you the truth. He who believes has, present tense, has eternal life. Not he who behaves. He who believes. And finally, John chapter 20, verse 31. 
We come to the end of the book in John chapter 20. And John, as he closes his book, tells us why he wrote the book. Why he told the stories that he told about Jesus. John says in verse 30, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Verse 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of, the, of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. John says, here's the reason I wrote, this, I wrote this book. I wrote this book because I don't want you to be stuck over here trying to behave your way to heaven. John says, I want you to understand that if you believe, you can have life, eternal life in Jesus. So everybody, listen to me. Up in the balcony down here on the lower floor, listen to this, please. Whenever you're truly saved, whenever your life is truly changed, it's always a God story, not a you story. You understand that? It's a God story. It's always, a, whenever somebody's life is truly changed, and they're truly saved, it's always, always a God story. A story of what God did. There was a righteousness that came from God, a, a, something that God provided. It's always a God story. It's never a you story. What you did. What you did. What you did. Because what you did doesn't work and it never will remember Bill remember the story of Bill he would have a hard time behaving his way out of that mess wouldn't he but on that Sunday morning Bill believed that there is a righteousness that comes from God and not from him on that Sunday morning, he put his faith not in how good he could be, but in how good God had been to him by providing Jesus as a sacrifice for his sins. And he believed. I remember a conversation that I had with an older gentleman one time named Howard. Uh, eventually, we got around to talking about things of faith. And Howard told me that he believed, and he made this comment. I've heard other people say it before. He said, I've just always believed. And he said it more than once. I've just always believed. I was a little suspect of that, to be honest with you. So I said, well, Howard, what have you believed? And he found it hard to express what he believed. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. If you were to die tonight, and God were to say, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? Howard stuttered for a moment, stammered, and he said, well, uh, uh, that's a good question. He says, I don't know. I have no idea what I would say. I think what Howard was reading between the lines, I think really this is where Howard was living. Saying, I believe. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But the Bible says that the devils believe and tremble. There's a difference between believing that Jesus existed or that Jesus was real or that God loves us. There's a difference between believing that with your head and believing that with your heart. You see, here's the difference. The word believe has the, has the idea, if you're really trusting in Christ as Savior, the believe has the idea of you're, you're about to drown and there's a lifeguard that swims your way and you grab hold of him with everything that you have because he's your only hope of surviving. You're... Holding to Him and trusting to Him and, and 
grabbing him because that is your only hope of making it. That's what this word believe means. It's not, oh, I believe there's a Jesus and I believe there was a cross and I believe that he died for my sins, but it's, there was a day I, start, I stopped behaving and I decided to believe that Christ died in my place for my sin and from that day forward, my faith has been in Christ alone. Now, I'm about to close, so you need to go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 is an amazing passage of Scripture, and it illustrates everything that we've said today. Romans chapter 10. Verse 1. Brothers, My heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God. There's that phrase again. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Look up here. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God, they sought to establish their own. People do that every day. They do not understand, they do not know the righteousness that comes from God. And so they seek to establish their own. I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to start doing better. I'm going to go to church and I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to join that church. I'm even going to put some money in the plate. They're seeking to establish a righteousness of their own. And the Bible says they're lost. That's why Jesus tells the story in Matthew chapter 7 where He says, when it comes to the end of the time, There'll be many people, not a few. He said there'll be many people. Matthew 7, 21. There'll be many people who will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not? And they give this whole list of things that they did. And Jesus said, and I will say to them, I never knew you. See, this is a serious matter. Because even church members, deep down, are really trusting in themselves sometimes. Well, they know the jargon, they know the language. But deep down, for even some church members, if they have to really talk about it and think it through, it's like, has there ever been a day when I put all of my weight on Jesus? Has there been a day when I put all of my faith that there is a righteousness that comes from God and not a righteousness that comes from me. Because the Bible says in Isaiah, all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags before a holy God. So you've got a a decision to make, don't you? Believe or behave. It's a decision every person has to make. Believe or behave. Behave. Today is your day to change your story from a you story to a God story. The day God opened your eyes. The day God awakened faith in you. The day God showed you that your righteousness is not good enough. The the day God helped you understand that the only way to a relationship with Him 
is through the righteousness that comes from Him. I want there to be a God story in your story. Would you bow with me and let's pray about that? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Would you listen to Titus chapter 3, verse 4? It says, listen, listen, listen. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us not because of righteous things that we had done. He saved us not because we behaved our way into His good graces, but because of His mercy. Because He knew there was no other way. I want so badly for you today, for the very first time in your life, to say, today I believe Jesus died in my place for my sin, and He is my only hope of heaven. He is my only hope of forgiveness. He is my only hope of my life changing, that I'm tired of trying to behave my way into heaven. God's good graces. Today, I place my faith in God's mercy. Would you do that today? Some of you here need to make that decision. Maybe you've been baptized three times and you've been a member of this church for 48 years, but have you ever really just really trusted in that righteousness that comes from God? Maybe you've never heard the gospel, but today it sure sounds like good news. And I'll tell you what you need to do. If you would come down to this altar where I'm standing, as we stand and sing in a moment, you just come to me and say, Pastor, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. I'll pray with you and I'll counsel you and I'll help you to do that. It's just a matter of opening your heart to Him and praying a simple prayer and acknowledging that today you believe that Jesus Christ is your sacrifice and you turn from your sin. So, Father... Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. May somebody believe today. And may their life be radically changed. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.